reason I do no reading or title is because I wander around quite a bit anyway, and that way I'm not held down anywhere. Good evening, everyone. We come together this evening at the start of the spring gathering, which really can be associated with the start of a new Bible school season with several thoughts in mind to share. Another summer of attending Bible schools, attending gatherings, is upon us. Another year of travel preparation. Another year of renewing old friendships and starting new ones. Another year especially of committing ourselves to the task at hand and strengthening those things that remain. Year after year, we begin this anew, patiently waiting on the fulfillment of the promise of the return of the Master from our Heavenly Father's right hand and the establishment of the kingdom, the making of all things right. You can imagine, if you will, as an aside, in this building alone, how many exhortations, how many gatherings have been made over all the years that this building has, has been here. And yet, a lot of people that attended those are not with us anymore. And we'll touch on that a little bit later. The things we look forward to those things we long for, those things we seek, we are reminded at events such as this and must remain the focus of our lives. The hope of the promise of His coming must be renewed daily that the cares of this life do not overwhelm us, that we are not drawn away to the darkness which covers the earth and gross darkness which covers the people thereon. We live in a world devoid of much that is holy, just, and good, as how the law of Moses was described. Instead, gross immorality, selfishness, and idolatry run rampant in our schools, in our universities, and amongst those that are elected to run the affairs of this world. If we think that the elected leaders that we are commanded to pray for are any better than anyone else as far as morals are concerned, well, listen to these a few statistics here. Now, these statistics are a couple of years old, and I'm sure have changed, and they've probably changed for the worse. But you'll get the gist of what I'm saying. 36 have been accused of spousal abuse. 
Seven have been arrested for fraud. Nineteen have been accused of writing bad checks. And in some states, we know that's a felony charge. 117 have directly or indirectly bankrupted at least two businesses. Three have done time for assault. 71 cannot get a credit card due to bad credit. 14 have been arrested on drug-related charges. Eight have been arrested for shoplifting. And as, was, as this was written in 2007, 21 currently were defendants in lawsuits. And in 2007, 84 had been arrested for drunk driving in that last year. Now, what group of people is this, that you might ask, that I'm talking about here? The answer is the U.S. Congress, those 535 statesmen on the Hill in Washington that we are commanded to pray for. As Abraham did, we need to focus our attention. We need to seek a new country, a new city, a better country, even New Jerusalem. That is, the kingdom which shall be established upon the return of the Master. Yes, we have to continue. We have to go on. But we must keep ourselves unspotted from the filth of this world. We are to continue in the things which we have learned, as Paul instructed Timothy. The patriarchs, the prophets, and later the apostles knew that the thing that they were working toward would not happen for a very long time. They ran the race, as Paul expounded on, not as a sprint, but as a long-term endurance race. We must follow that idea, that mindset, donning the armor of God daily, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, having our loins girded about with truth, our feet shod with the gospel of peace, the breastplate of righteousness upon us, along with the sword of the Spirit. Now, one could not go into a sprint, thinking about a race, wearing such garments, could they? They'd get tired pretty quick if they were wearing all those garments in a sprint. But one can endure the long march toward the kingdom equipped like this. Abraham lived this way, taking one day at a time. So did Isaac, and also Jacob, or Israel. They saw the kingdom far in the future. Moses did also, the vision passing in front of him while he, sheltered, while he was sheltered in a cleft of the rock. Now, was that an ordinary rock? 
that Moses was hiding in the cleft behind? Or was that rock a special type of rock, as Christ is our rock of salvation covering us? Remember, flesh cannot stand in God's glorious presence. They would be consumed. So does the rock that Moses was sheltered by point to the true covering in Christ? I think it does. Moses, we know, was not allowed to cross the Jordan into the land flowing with milk and honey. His reward would come later. There are many other worthies of old that we could mention and who are mentioned many times throughout Scripture. Men and women who were strangers and sojourners with the Heavenly Father upon this earth, seeking that better life. For you know, Scripture says, God, God Himself says He is a sojourner upon this earth, upon this sphere that He has created. And why? Why? It's because that he has been mostly rejected by the thing that he has created, that is mankind. John Thomas stated it so well in the first pages of Elpis Israel. And if you'll indulge me, I'd like to read a little bit from this this evening. And we're all very familiar with this, but we could do a whole lot worse than to read these things over and over that Brother Thomas wrote. He states, revolving upon its own axis and describing an ample circuit through the boundless fields, fields of space is a planet of the solar system bearing, bearing its surface a population of over a thousand millions well, that's 6,000 millions now, subject to sin, disease, and death. This orb of the starry heaven shines with a glory similar to that of its kindred spheres. Viewed from them, it is seen sparkling like a diamond in the sky, and with the rest of the heavens declares the glory of God and shows forth the handiwork of Him that did create it. This celestial orb, which is a world or a system of itself, is styled the earth. It is the habitation of races of animals which graze its fields, lurk in its forest, soar through its atmosphere, and pass through the paths of its seas. At the head of all these is a creature like themselves, animal, sensual, and moral. He is called man. He has replenished the earth and subdued it, and filled it with his renown. His crimes, however, rather than his virtues, have illustrated and distinguished him with an unhappy preeminence above all other th created things his heart is evil and left to its uncontrolled in impulses he becomes licentious merciless and more cruel than the fiercest, fiercest beast of prey such is the being that claims the independent sovereignty of the globe he has founded dominions principalities and powers he has built great cities and vaunted, him vaunted himself in the works of his hands, saying, Are not these by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? He repudiates all lordship over him and claims an, the an inalienable and inherent right of self-government 
and of establishing whatever civil and ecclesiastical institutions are best suited to his sensuality and caprice. Hence, at successive periods, the earth has become the arena of fierce and pandemonic conflicts. Its tragedies have baptized its soil and blood, and the mingled cries of the oppressor and the victim have ascended to the throne of the Most High. Skilled in the wisdom which comes from beneath, he is by nature ignorant of all that which is first pure and impeaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. This is a disposition to which the animal man, under the guidance of his fleshly mind, has no affinity. His propensity is to obey the lust of his nature and do its evil works, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, sex, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. All these make up the character of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, upon whom, upon which is stamped the seal of God's eternal reprobation. They who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. They shall die. Such is the world of humankind, the great and impious enemy of, man upon, enemy of God upon the earth. Its mind is not subject to his law, neither it indeed can be. What shall we say to these things? Is the world as we behold it a finality? Are generations of men rebellious against God and destroyers of the earth to occupy it successively through an endless series of ages? Are men to repeat the history of the past forever? Is the earth always to be cursed and sin and death reign victorious. Who can answer these inquiries? If we survey the starry canopy, thence no sign or voice is given expressive of the truth. They declare the eternal power and divinity of their creator, but they speak not of the destiny of, earth, of the earth or of man upon it. If we question the mountains or the hills, the plains and valleys, the rivers, seas, and oceans of the earth, and demand their origin. Why were they produced? To what end were they created? Their rocks, their strata, their fossils or deposits afford us no response. Turn we to man and ask him, Whence comest thou, and what is thy destiny? Whence all the evil of thy nature? Why art thou mortal? Who made thee? Who involved thee in the widespread ruin and calamity on every side? questions you know that's pretty sad commentary of the human condition isn't it yet there remains a hope for mankind because God does not wish that any would perish but that all would come to know of his plan of salvation that is the gospel I'd like to continue To the Bible, then, all must come at, la- at last if they would be truly wise in spiritual things. 
This is a great truth which few of the sons of men have learned to appreciate according to its importance. A man may be a theologian profoundly skilled in all questions of divinity. He may be well versed in the mythology of the heathen world, be able to speak all languages of the, of the nations, compute the distances of orb from orb, and weigh them in the scales of rigid calculation. He may know all the science and be able to solve all mysteries. But if with all this he be ignorant of the things of the Spirit, if he know not the true meaning of the Bible, he seemeth only to be wise, while he is in fact a fool, Brother Thomas writes. Therefore the apostle saith, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men. If our contemporaries could only attain to the adoption of this great precept, let no man glory in men, they would have overleaped a barrier which, as a fatal obstacle, prevents myriads from understanding and obeying the truth. As I stated before, one could do a lot worse than to read the pages of this book. So we see the hope is there. The realization of all things that has been done for the preparation of the culmination of all things we can see has been accomplished. The message for us is there in the scriptures for us to search out and either heed or, as man usually does, disregard. We can either heed or we can disregard. The instructions are complete. Nothing is lacking. Everything has been laid out for us so that we could offer ourselves as suitable for God's glorious kingdom. It's not easy. Nothing really worth having is ever easy to accomplish. Remember the lifelong race, equipped with the whole armor of God. With that armor, we can defend the faith which we have been entreated with, entrusted with, which was once delivered to the saints. The defense of the scriptures is called upon also against the rising tide of anti-creationism and anti-creator. This fad is sweeping the nations currently, which some say could bring the end to the what they say post or could be at the end of the Christian era. We shall see. Our master remains our supreme example, our true pattern, our template to mold our lives after in God's outline for life. And God's outline for life does not allow for multiple choice for those who are to be successful at the race. There is really only one way to come to our Heavenly Father. One God, one faith, one baptism. Not multiple choice, not the confusion that we find in the world today. Multiple choice is not an alternative, although most try to make it that way.
and judge themselves unworthy of eternal life in God's kingdom. Even some who claim, who claim to carry the name of Christ. Brother Tommy instructed me to edify and strengthen the things that remain in this evening's address. And really to accomplish that, I will have to bring this discourse to a more personal level, if you will. Personal to each of each of you, each of us that is here in this audience with me, if you will allow me. This personal message revolves around the question of what each one of us has done with the truth that we have been entrusted with. Have we taken the message and hid it under a basket? Or have we taken this truth and buried it as we would our talents? Part of this exercise of covenant making with our Heavenly Father involves our willingness to share this pearl of great price that we have been entrusted with. What have we done with it? Have we hid it? Have we been too embarrassed or unsure of ourselves to let others know about it? Do our friends or co-workers not see that we are in some way different? Different because of how the truth affects us in ways that they don't understand. Have we given the mess, this message, have we given this message to our parents or our siblings? Have we given this message to our co-workers, our acquaintances? You might say, I'll never approach that person with my hope. They've been a thorn in my side for years. We don't know what type of soil they possess. It may be full of stones. It may be full of weeds, briars and the like. Or it may be the most fertile soil that there is. Possibly a conversation with one may turn them from their pernicious ways against you. Remember the conversion of the guy that was called Saul of Tarsus. Remember what happened. He became later, he, be, he became a great apostle soon, very soon after his conversion. Do you owe it to those people? Well, you certainly owe it to our Heavenly Father who gave His Son as a ransom. And you owe it to the Son also who stands in the Father's presence for you. So have we given this message to our parents or to our siblings? It's not for us to judge one as either unworthy or to not spread this good news because we don't think someone will listen. God knows the good and honest heart. We sometimes most of the time, don't see what he does. Are you or have you raised your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord? You know, we all lack at times to explain the truth adequately so that others might hear and might believe. 
the fact that I have two daughters and a, a sibling that is coming to the truth is fortune for me because I'm lacking in teaching those things. So there had to be a good and honest heart there because I lacked so much. Have your parents, if you're young and you don't have parents that are believers, have they heard you? Have they heard the message? Have your in-laws heard the message, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles? Because you know why? These people aren't around forever. If they they haven't come into the saving name of Christ, if they haven't come into contact with it, once they're gone, they're gone. And you won't see them again in this life or any other life. So that's what's so personal about this that I'm bringing you this evening. Once those people are gone, if you cared about them, they are gone forever. It truly is as if they never were. That's the serious seriousness of the message that I leave you with to ponder on this evening. So in closing, we must be instructed to use the template which we have in Christ to fashion ourselves after we have the whole armor. We have to remember that it's, it's not a sprint. It's a lifelong race. And if a lifelong race, you, you, can, you can wear that armor for a lifelong time. Use the instruction which is ready and waiting in Scripture to be used. Use the whole armor of God to defend and spread the faith that is entrusted in you. And I'll end with a reading from 1 Peter, the second chapter. Just a couple verses. It says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Thank you.